Well, for those who don't know, I'm Pastor Danielle. I'm one of the pastors here at Spark, um, and I'm one, I'm one of the people who get to teach regularly, so I'm really happy to be with you all, and I've missed you. It's been, this is so weird. This is my first, well, Kevin and I were up here the first weekend we're here, but it's like first post-pandemic kind of back-in-person sort of preach. So... I don't have a rewind button. I can't pause. I can't send Kevin a text that says, please edit that out. We're just live here, people, and I love it. It's great, but, you know, buckle up because anything can happen. All right, let's pray and we'll get started. Jesus, thank you so much for this beautiful afternoon and this chance to be together, um, to be church here with one another. Um, I bless you for each person here. We bless you for this time. And thank you, God, that you bind us closer together as you bind us closer to you. Um, Pour out your spirit upon this place and upon each person here. May the wind that comes through and the breeze remind us of your breath that blows through your church and your people that expresses your love in this world. And we ask that our time together and our worship of you through the study of your word would be glorifying to you and would build us up and um, do miracles amongst us um, because we need you, Jesus. And we thank you for this time together. Amen. All right. We're in the middle of a, actually we're at the end of a series called The Discipline of Hope. And I think the reason why we titled it that was because hope can feel like a feeling right? But it's also something that we have to discipline ourselves to employ. Um, We've all heard of doom scrolling. That's easy. It's easy to doom scroll. It's harder to hope scroll. Anybody? Yeah, much more difficult. If you find that channel, let me know because I would like to hope scroll. The title of our message this afternoon is We Had Hoped, and it comes from Luke chapter 24. Now we're in actually in the middle of a series on the gospel of Luke. We're towards the end of it. Um, and so our amazing teaching team, um, Tom and Sidney are up next week, and then Sidney's up the week after that. And um, I think then Omer and Mark and all the others. Um, but I'm just letting the teaching team know I'm apologizing in advance because I'm going to start to preach a little on Emmaus, which isn't until September. So um, whoever has the Emmaus passage, I'm taking it. Okay. <laughs> I think it was unassigned, just to be fair. But I'm going to take that today and we're going to look at this passage together. Okay. So let's look at uh, Luke chapter, 20, chapter 24 and we'll start with the reading. Now, on that same day, which was resurrection morning, so the women have just come back from the tomb and gone, what? And um, now we have on that same day, resurrection morning, two of them, two of these disciples, followers of Jesus, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're talking with each other about all these things that had happened. Now, in our good spark way, I'm just going to stop and invite you all to ask good questions. So you should be asking right now, where is Emmaus? So let me help you out. Where is Emmaus? It's, um, it's somewhere around here. Um, So this photo actually is from 1925, um, an aerial footage of Jerusalem, and somewhere maybe on that road heading towards, I'm gonna duck so you guys can see better, but um, towards the west, um, towards the Mediterranean Sea, there is a place. Here's kind of what it looks like a little bit more today, although it's actually quite difficult to find. And when you start to look up where is Emmaus, you find that there are at least four candidates for where Emmaus might be. Um, One kind of sets it in a town called Colonia. Another um, near Abu Ghosh, which if you go, or Castel, which you go there today, um, fantastic hummus, like amazing amazing hummus and uh, this um, Arab city Arab village outside of Jerusalem to the east has a hummus contest every year and they win and they make massive huge bats 
Um, and it's a beautiful, friendly, incredibly loving, wonderful space. So stop there. Um, it's also associated with Kiryat Yarim, where um, as the Ark was coming back from the Philistines back in Hebrew Scriptures Day with the Israelites, it kind of stopped there and hung out for a little while before David brought it to Jerusalem because that guy like peeked in and dropped dead. So there's things that happen there. So maybe it's around there or maybe it's out a little bit further towards the Ayalon Valley where Joshua had the God had the sun stand still. So all of those things are happening there. Now, if you continue to study, you'll see that we have like a marker that kind of re- references a particular, it's a tombstone that mentions the fifth legion of the Romans that were known to have a sort of a station out near Emmaus. And there's all these different discussions and debates. Here's a friend of ours, David Bibbon, who was looking for the road to Emmaus back in the 1990s and found Roman paver stones. The Romans built massive roads throughout all of their known world and so there was this big Roman road there that these disciples would have been walking on and today a dear friend of ours Gary Alley took these photos this is kind of what it looks like today it's really hard to tell that it used to be a road um, but there's still some markers and then just recently the um Antiquities Authority has put together a nice pilgrimage road for you. So you can like go and walk in. It's very picturesque. It just might not really be the place because when you look it up, scholarly consensus is there is no scholarly consensus. That's a direct quote from the Anchor Bible, Yale Bible Dictionary from Dr. James Strange. Where is Emmaus? Nobody knows, actually. We don't actually really know. It's a village. There's some attestation to a place called Emmaus in Rabbinics, um, in the Book of Maccabees, and of course, this reference here in Luke but no else. So good luck. Um, walk all the roads and you decide. You can all vote and see where you think Emmaus might be. But somewhere, according to our text, it is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Just pick a direction towards the sea, towards west, somewhere that way, about seven miles away. Now, I was talking to um, a friend, a sparker here who was saying that they try to walk about three miles a day. So they're on this seven mile road towards Emmaus and they're going to get there and then something's going to happen and they're going to have to come back. So while they were walking, talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. So now Jesus shows up on the road while these two guys are walking. Well, actually, one person suggests that maybe it's Clopas and his wife, Mary. Um, N.T. Wright suggests that maybe it's Clopas and his wife, Mary. Um, we don't know, but one disciple is named Clopas and the other one is not named. Okay. So while they're walking, talking and discussing, Jesus himself draws near and comes near and he went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing them. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Clopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? And he asked them, What things? Which super reminds me of Genesis in the garden when they're walking in the cool of the garden. He's like, Where are you? Right? Because uh, Jesus walking the cool, um, God's walking in the cool of the garden and Adam and Eve are hiding. Right? God can ask the questions even when God already knows the answers. Um, God's kind to us that way. What things? And they replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. We had hoped. But clearly that didn't happen. That's why we're on this road walking now, right? 
Uh, just a quick fun little note of what Luke is doing here. If you read at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, do you remember that there's an incident that happens with Jesus as a young boy at Passover? Does anybody remember what happens with Jesus as a young boy at Passover? It's like his first Passover, quote unquote, like age 12, 13. What happens? He stayed back in Jerusalem and his parents lost him and they look for him for three days and they can't find him. So just a fun little like, Luke is doing this really nice literary thing called an inclusio, where at the beginning of the book, he's talking about three days, Jesus missing, and now at the end of the book, they're talking about this fun. I just like those things. So it's now the third day that since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Now, when they say astounded, let's just, I just want to... Draw your attention for two seconds to a couple of verses right before. In verse 11, um, after they come back, the women come back from the tomb, it says that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, the other women who told all these things to the apostles, right? And the, then quote, but these words seemed to them, seemed to these disciples and followers, an idle tale, and they did not believe them. So when they say that they were astounded by what the women said, they're not like, it was just really surprising. We should also hear that they are like, and that's ridiculous because that's just insane. They were at the tomb early this morning and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Then he said to them, this is Jesus, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. And now every person who's ever tried to figure out Jesus is like, couldn't I have been in that conversation? That would have been amazing. That's like, a, you know, those masterclass um, advertisements you get on YouTube, right? You can learn to click, to cook or dance or do all these things. Like, this is the masterclass of like, let me just explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. Ha. Sorry, Princess Bride joke for my husband. Okay. So he interpreted about all the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. I think this is funny, isn't it? He's just like, all right, see ya. Just going to keep on going. Do you guys remember another time in the Bible when Jesus did that? The disciples were out in a boat and there was a terrible storm and they're freaking out. And Jesus sees them from the shore and he goes and he walks on the water. And it says in the text that he was going to walk on by. Hey, guys. So I don't know if they're like any of the clues or no bells ringing in their heads yet. So he walked ahead of the head as if he were going on, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us. It is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed God, broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight, which just seems unfair. But why? why? Oh, we just figured out who you were. And then they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us. And that same hour, they got up and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and their companions gathered together. And they were saying, the Lord has risen indeed. He has appeared to Simon. And then they told them what had happened to them on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. That's the end of our reading for today. We had hoped. I love this verse. 
because it kind of gives voice to everything that must have been going on in the hearts and the minds of all of the followers of Jesus who had been following him for three years, who had been listening to him teach, who'd been watching the abuses of Rome, who'd been seeing the injustice happening. And then they're sitting there going, okay, here's the moment. And no, we had hoped. In times of chaos and anxiety and disappointment, one of the reasons why those disappointing and anxious feelings come is because we actually have hope. We had hoped it would be different. Like the people that walk around that are not disappointed are the ones like, I knew it was going to be awful. I had pandemic on my bingo chart. Like I, I knew I put it in with all insurrection, pandemic, check, check, right? Like I had all of those things ready to go. They're not disappointed, right? But those of us who didn't have those things on our bingo list, we've been stuck in a time of chaos, of anxiety, of disappointment. And it's been hard. I was speaking with a sparker this morning and um, I was saying, how are you doing? And they were like, I don't know. Like, right, like, what, what does that mean? Like, I don't know, because it kind of feels like a loop that I'm still on. Um, it kind of feels like I, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, even though, has anybody else felt out of practice having social interactions? Like all of a sudden you're like, I think I've never seen people before. Um, for all of us who fell out of practice driving, the first couple weeks when California was starting to like really open back up, I was nearly hit three different times by people just blaring through red lights. And I thought they've, they've just forgotten that that's a red light. <laughs> like this is how we drive when other people are on the road. I know there are people in our community who've still not yet been able to come out of their homes, right? We're still in the midst of this. This is not over yet. And we watch with anxiousness, um, with some disappointment as Kevin talked about the chaos last week. In fact, at the end of service last week, he was like, okay, see you all next Sunday. And I felt in my heart at that moment, really? There was just like a moment. I was like, Lord willing. Like I used to think that was ridiculous when people would said that all the time. I know my pastor was like, just say, we'll see each other. Don't you have to say Lord willing. We know. And now I'm like, we should probably say Lord willing all the time. That feels like everything is on the table as to like, now we live in a world where we might just not see each other next Sunday. And that, that becomes a little bit chaotic. So I've been reading this book by Henry Nowen called following Jesus. Um, in times, finding our way home in an age of anxiety. And Henri Nouwen, Henri Nouwen talks about how in these times of chaos, many of us become either wanderers or sitters. We do one of two things in a response to we had hoped and things aren't what we like, right? So we'll either wander from one thing to another, from one tweet to the next, from one assignment to the next project, to the one to-do list to the next, from one relationship, church, community crisis, cause, job, friend, city to the next. And we're tired because we've been wandering. Or we sit. Nothing excites us. Nothing has meaning. We drown out the busyness or the noise with more noise, avoiding any rhythm or movement or tensions in life through escapes, entertainment, alcohol, drugs, sex, but nothing energizes us. Nothing breathes life. So even though we're sitting, we're still fatigued. And I think all of us have a little bit of each of this in each one of us. We see, and we also in this story see wanderers and sitters and I'm going to suggest we also see followers of Jesus in the story. The wanderers are on the road, right? They're on the road and the sitters are in the upper room. 
They're like, this is bad. We should just sit. <laughs> Don't go out anymore. And the wanderers are like, let's leave, right? We, we thought he was the guy. He's dead. Let's just, let's just go. Let's, let's get out of here. Did you guys find yourself in the last year and a half doing one of these two things or imagining yourself doing one of two? I mean, like the joke, the SNL sketch about how many people were like looking either on Verbo or Airbnb or like houses that they could possibly move into. Like everybody's like, can, is there an escape button? Is there something I can do? Can I hit eject on what's happening right now? Or I'm just sitting and I don't know what day of the week it is. And I'm going to have to burn these sweatpants by the time the pandemic's over because I've not done it. Like I'm just still sitting. And I don't know what's happening. Like we found those two things. And in this story, we find people who are on the road and people who are in, in the upper room. And I think that they're thinking things like, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And this is simply unbelievable. Like he's dead. And now we went to the tomb and his body is not even there. Now what are we supposed to do? So let's hide in the room or let's get on the road. Let's get back to fishing. Peter, you were fishing. Let's go. Uh, let's go back to Galilee. The Lord's gone. It's all over. We had hoped, but it didn't happen. Or maybe for us today, we might say something like we had hoped that life would be different, that the marriage would have lasted, that there would have been justice, that there would, that the doctor's report would have been different, that a cure would have been found in time. We'd hoped we wouldn't be so lonely. We had hoped. We had hoped, they say, that he was the one to redeem Israel. I imagine all the hope set in that moment. We had hoped that he was going to make things right. We, we had hoped that we wouldn't be a people living in exile anymore. We had hoped that we wouldn't be a people living under oppression of foreign rule anymore. We had hoped that we would be seeing things set to right. We had hoped that he would still be alive this week, and he's not. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I think that they thought Jesus was going to solve all their problems, right? What does it mean when they say we hoped he was going to be the one to redeem? Like, he'll solve the problems. And we often think of Jesus as a problem solver, right? And we often think that he'll solve all our problems, and that if he doesn't, then it's because we don't have enough faith, we didn't pray right or well enough, or we did something wrong, or we go to the other that Jesus isn't real. So maybe we wander, or we sit. I just like to encourage us today that Jesus is not the end of hard times in our life. The good news is, the hope is that Jesus is with us in the hard times. That he's hovering over the chaos, as Kevin talked about. That as we walk on the road, he asks questions. What things happened? What's been going on? Talk to me. Tell me what's happening. And then he teaches and he invites us to follow and he points us to the hope. Why do we tend to wander or sit? Why do we do that? I think it's because following requires leaving that which we know. Following is hard. You have to leave that which you know. And I think Jesus can say to us in our imagination, you are afraid. You are sad. You are worried. You are confused and you are disappointed and you are in pain and you are suffering. And it's hard to let go of that which we know to be true. We know the suffering is true. We know the disappointment is true. We know the chaos is true. We're in it. 
even when it's chaos, it's hard to let it go. And instead, follow and move to a place of love and peace and hope. Maybe Jesus today is saying, follow me. Don't keep running around. Or follow me. Don't just sit there. Follow me. Jesus can guide us from restless wanderer to joyful follower. From boredom and just sitting doing nothing to excitement. Simply because we've heard his voice on the road and because he's broken bread with us. Jesus asks and invites our questions. So if you are wherever you are on the journey, hiding in the upper room or walking along the road, or maybe you're one of the faithful, it's like, no, I've been to the empty tomb and I believe and you're in the joy. Awesome. Invite us to come and listen to you because some of us are hiding. But as Jesus asks and invites our questions, I just want to encourage you all, don't be afraid to ask. You can ask any question you want. Jesus is not afraid of your questions. He already knows you have them anyway, so you might as well just be honest. And our brokenness, our suffering, our disappointment, our pain can bring about something new in Christ. Something new can begin when we walk on the road with Jesus and when we tell him of our heartbreak. When we say to him, but I had hoped. Now, following Jesus does seem illogical. I mean, I I think anybody here in the Valley, in the Bay Area can know that the moment you start to talk about this with anybody else, it can sound like you're crazy. Kloppis and the unnamed disciple knew the events very well, and they were able to completely recount the events. Here's what happened. Here's how it happened. But they didn't understand the events, and they didn't listen to the women's testimony. They listened in disbelief. It's possible to recount all of facts about Jesus and the resurrection and to miss it entirely. They had walked away from Jerusalem and they were wandering. You see, they did this because they're logical, right? This happened. We saw him dead, killed, murdered. We put his body in the tomb and now it's not there. So the logical thing is that he's still dead. And we just don't know where his body is. Let's just, let's just go. The disciples are logical. So we had hoped he'd be the one to redeem Israel, but we saw him die. We saw them crucify him. So we're going to go. We had hoped, but now we don't have that hope anymore. But Jesus breaks through this human logic with the illogical upside down kingdom of God. And instead, he's going to ask them to do something crazy. He's going to ask them to hope and to believe in the, in really quite literally the unbelievable It reminds me of the passage in Romans 8, 24 through 25, which I've had ringing in my head this whole series. For in hope we were saved. Now hope is that which is, that is seen. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? I don't have to hope for the chair. The chair is right there. I can see it. But if we hope for what we do not see, then we wait for it with patience. And that's where I think Jesus is inviting us. And that's where I think the discipline of hope comes. That Jesus invites us. He says, follow me and let go of your earthbound logic. Let go of your way of thinking. Let go of your fears and trust that something new will happen, can happen. Come, enter into the kingdom of abundance, of joy, of peace, of freedom, and of hope. Now, this following can be very daunting. And I think as soon as we start talking about following Jesus, we immediately will start thinking about things like, do I have to go to the mission field? Do I have to change my career? Do I have to? We start with these big, huge concepts. But following Jesus does not require dramatic gestures or huge decisions. 
Jesus doesn't say, okay, I'm going to teach you all this thing, and now I expect you to go out and teach the master class on YouTube yourself to everybody you meet. Instead, he just breaks bread with them and reveals himself to them. The disciples on the road simply returned to Jerusalem. They decided to walk back. We don't have to ask these big questions. We can simply, as Dallas Willard says, start by doing the next right thing. Maybe the next right thing this week is just going to be, I'm going to try to not yell at my coworkers or my spouse or my kids. Or maybe it'll be something nobody even notices, but you'll do it. Like, I'm going to try really hard not to gossip. Nobody's going to notice that you stopped doing it, hopefully. It's not that apparent, right? You'll just know, right? Start with something small. The road to Emmaus and back again is a journey of little steps marked with doubt, disbelief, fear, and hope. Hope asks us to return to the tomb. Hope asks us to return to the place of chaos and of pain and of loss and meet the risen Jesus. Hope asks us to look at Caesar, to look at Rome and say, you're not in charge. You are not the king. Now this can be very hard. And so first I want to just let you know that we are not alone. You are not alone. I am not alone in this. Jesus is made known in the breaking of the bread, something that we do here together every single Sunday. Following Jesus means to live our life in companionship with the one who understands us fully. Companion is this old French word from, it comes from the old French word compagnon. Somebody speak French, I can't do that. Um, literally means one who breaks bread with another based upon the Latin com together with and panis bread. So following Jesus, when we break bread with him, we are living a life in communion with our companion. And we follow Jesus in community with companions along the way when we break bread together. We rely on the entire community to reflect in very diverse ways the love and discipleship, fellowship of Christ. It takes an enormous, it makes an enormous difference whether we struggle alone or together. Doesn't it? I think that's one of the things that was so hard this year. So much of the struggle was alone. To know that life is still a struggle, but no longer a lonely struggle, as a new experience entirely. We didn't open Spark a couple weeks ago and say, okay, that's it. No more struggle. We're going to be all set. I'm sure there won't be any more chaos. But we were so grateful that we didn't have to do the struggle alone anymore. Following Jesus makes life very different and very new. And Jesus is God with us. And when we are together and when we break bread together, we are continuing to express that companionship and that love together. We follow Jesus together. We don't do this alone. Now, the story ends with one of my favorite things that Jesus ever does. So the disciples are going to return to the upper room, right? We read that passage They're They're there and they're like, hey, Jesus just showed up to Simon. And, and they're like, we, we just saw him on the road and they broke the bread. And they poof, disappeared. And like, what's happening? And then as they're telling this story, this is what happens. Jesus just shows up. He's like, Shalom Aleichem. What's up? Which literally means peace be upon you. But it's very, it's, it's a phrase said today all around the streets, like Shalom Aleichem. And you can say Aleichem Shalom, peace be upon you, right? Return the peace to you. So it makes me laugh because it feels to me when I read it that Jesus is like, hey, what's up? 
just shows up. And while they were talking about all this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Shalom Aleichem. Now that concept of shalom, we've talked about a lot here at Spark. It, it doesn't really mean hi or goodbye as though it, it means peace. And when we talk about this peace and this concept of shalom as it's expressed in our Bible, in our narrative, it is about the setting of everything to right. And I think when Jesus shows up in this room, in this upper room, and he says, shalom be upon you. It's not just, hey, what's up, guys? Wasn't that a cool trick I just did? It is speaking right into the midst of the chaos and the disappointment and the confusion and the doubts and the disbelief and saying, peace. Things are being set to right. It's good to be with you, Spark. Shalom Allah. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, be with us today. Help us to hear your voice calling us to follow, inviting us to experience your love and your hope in this world. Listen to our confusion and help us to know how to live, how to believe, how to move towards you. Show us the way. We know you are love. We know you are hope. We know you are peace. We know you are joy. Help us to be peaceful and joyful, even as we walk long, dusty roads full of questions and disappointment. May our hearts burn within us as we break bread together and with you. For in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, blessed and broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All are welcome at this table. <laughs>